0: Hello and welcome to Ag
1: PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk about replanting decisions. Now, you may not have your first planting done, and hopefully you don't have to replant. But nevertheless, we want to talk about this just a little bit today. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything else that's going on on your farm, our number here 44 AGPHD. That's 844-442-4743 or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So I was talking to a couple of agronomists this morning and they just said that there was a farmer um, relatively near us who planted a bunch of soybeans in early April and he's now replanting all of them because they didn't end up coming out of the ground. Look, if you're going to plant really early, like way earlier than the crop insurance date, like was the case in in this instance, you've got to make sure you've got really, really great seed treatment and you do some extra things. We talk about it all the time on the show here, like with corn especially. I, I mean, soybeans, I... I'm not a real big fan of planting soybeans way before the crop insurance date, but anyway, with corn, we do find a lot of people are willing to plant corn very early, and we talk about, hey, use a little bit of inferral pop-up fertilizer along with some water, keep the rate low, use a low salt product, use some fungicide inferral, use some insecticide inferral, and make sure that seed is treated with a lot of biologicals or at least put a bunch of those in furrow as well. There are ways that we can pop seed out of the ground much, much faster. And that's what we're after when you're planting into those super cold soils. So anyway, there's also hail and uh, wind damage that can come later on so I I mean we've we've got things to look at whether the seed didn't come out of the ground whether the stand got damaged early on whether it was in the uh, let's say it was it was growing quite well and then it for whatever reason got wiped out so there are a lot of things to be thinking about here and again hopefully you don't have to deal with this this year Or ever, but if you're already starting to think about some of these things or starting to look at some of these things, uh, we do want to talk about replanting decisions on the show today. But right now, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren.
0: Hi, Brian. This one comes from Tony in Kenya. He said, I'm a young farmer. I love listening to your programs about corn, specifically my corn's at V3 and it's turning purple. I didn't get my phosphate put out there at planting time. What can I do
1: now? Well, here's the bad news. When a crop already visually looks bad and you can see visual nutrient deficiencies, a lot of yield has already been lost. So what we often talk about on our own farm is, and and even with all our listeners here, is about our mistakes in the past and how we want to make sure that we don't make those mistakes again in the future. If your ground is short on phosphorus, which I don't know, I I mean, I'd have to see the soil test, but we're going to assume your soil is short on phosphorus because the leaves are turning purple. Then you've got to get phosphorus out there right away or, or, let, let me rephrase that, you've got to get it out at planting time or before because once you've put that seed in the ground and you decide, hey, I'm not going to do any more tillage or anything like that, how are you going to get that phosphorus down into the root zone? It's really hard. Phosphorus doesn't move well in soil at all. So if you go out and lay it on the soil surface, well, guess what? You're not going to get the phosphorus down into the ground. It's not going to happen. So I'm just saying I don't know what the rescue is here. I don't have a real great option for you. Now, some people have gone out with high rates of liquid phosphorus, like dribbled in a band, along with maybe some water and some nitrogen and and just hoping for the best that some can get down into the root zone and maybe help save that crop. But yeah, it's, it's in a tough spot. Now there's one other thing that I do want to throw out here, because when I saw these purple leaves, and you brought up phosphorus right away, but my second thought with this, before you ever even I ever even heard Darren's comments, I just saw the picture, was ALS herbicide. I don't know what crop you raised last, but if you used an ALS family herbicide, that would that can also cause purpling of corn leaves. So and and stunting of the plants somewhat similar to what phosphorus does yes this does look like phosphorus but i don't know that 100 percent for sure
0: all right thanks for the question and thanks for checking out our show we really appreciate the support get this one from adam he's in south central south dakota he said we are pretty dry this year and we're running a field cultivator on last year's bean ground that's going to be corn uh, we pull it fast, seven and a half to nine miles an hour. We didn't get a pre emerge herbicide applied, but we are incorporating fertilizer with this pass. Typically, we're planting corn at two inches, but we will go down to two and a half to find moisture. Given this information, what depth would you set the field cultivator at to till in the fertilizer? And what are your considerations
1: each year when deciding that? Almost always, we're going to talk to you about trying to run a field cultivator at probably in the range of two to four inches deep. So two is probably awfully shallow. Four might be a little bit on the deep side, but I don't know that we're going to change a whole lot. My biggest concern right now is you're talking about moisture loss and we are just not having a lot of moisture. When you field cultivate, it's going to dry that ground out. And so here has been our rule over the years. If we said, boy, we don't have a choice. We have to field cultivate yet. We're dry. We we are planting immediately behind the field cultivator. A lot of years where there's lots of soil moisture, we wait a day. You can't do. In in my opinion, you shouldn't do that this year. You should be right behind it. But yeah, I'm 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 going to run as shallow as I can. Uh, that's just that's typically how we're going to go with the field cultivator. One of the things that you will want to do is put extensions for the shanks that are behind your wheel tracks, behind, behind your wheels, I'm not saying this very well, but wherever your wheels are, then obviously there's a little more depression there. And so a lot of times people say, well, I gotta make sure I get that worked. I gotta get get those wheel tracks covered. Well, if you have the shank set just a little bit lower right behind where the wheels are, well, that takes care of that. Then you don't have to run the whole machine deep. So just something for you to think about. And yeah, in the future, I'd put the pre-emerge herbicide out early as well. So that gets incorporated. That will make the pre work better too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucinto fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad spectrum control and a long lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
1: When it comes to weed control,
3: Our cards have always been on the table, because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today we're broadcasting from the martin studio and we're talking about that one thing that nobody wants to talk about replanting but it is a good thing to be thinking about here especially for many farmers right now and including our own farm we're still getting planting done the first time and we want to do everything right so we don't have to come back again but sometimes the weather just plays against you or, or some other factor that causes you to have to replant. So we want to talk about that a little bit today so you're prepared this season. Got Del Voigt with us right now with Penn State. Del, how's it going? Oh, it's doing great. How about yourself? You know, we're doing pretty well. We could use a little rain, but outside of that, things are going good here. You know, for for farmers thinking about these replanting situations that come up every year for somebody somewhere, it's a tough decision. There's a lot of emotion involved in this and obviously expense and time and, and all those things. What are some of the big keys that farmers need to look at just to determine if they need to replant or not?
3: Well, I mean, first of all, you have to get an accurate assessment of the stand. You know, and that's, to me, the first thing is, well, actually before that, let me, let me go back for, we'll figure out why, you know, um, I was in a stand yesterday. It's up, um, we have crusting and, um, you know, we had probably less than 90,000, but the, you know, I was saying, Hey, let's wait till this rain comes and then we'll get a, a, a more accurate stand assessment and then we'll move forward and see what we need to do from there. But the first thing is getting a stand assessment and some growers, surprisingly that's been raising soybeans for many years uh uh just forget how to get an accurate stand assessment and um, i don't know how far you want me to go down that path but you know there's uh there's a hula hoop method and there's a there's i use a tape measure and and i calculate that to linear feet by the row width and i mean that's another that's a little bit of a calculation but it's not hard and sean kindly i don't know if you've ever um had him on with this bean cam i i I've actually tested that on about 150 fields here, where we just take an image with your phone, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, it has to be at the V1, V2 stage, and then it converts it automatically to stand counts. And uh, you can do that in several spots in the field and get an accurate assessment. So that's the first thing to get out of the way.
0: Yeah, technology is really cool. And now you've got drones. And like you say, yeah, we're all walking around with, with phones and apps and those kinds of things on the phone that can can help us identify what we've got and and you're right working with your agronomist working with a neighbor to figure out what what's going on here why did we lose the sand that's that's a big deal and then you know figuring out how much growing season is left we were just talking about it on our own farm we got a little corn yet to put in but we're going to start backing off on maturities and i know you're going to get that question soon too of how when do i need to back off and and how much yield may i be giving up by doing so
3: yeah, that's a good uh, good point. And um, you know, we in our area of geography, we do a lot of uh, recropping after wheat. So right now, I'm I'm kind of shifting gears because I've been looking at a lot of wheat in the last two weeks that are just pushing heads, and we're going to be looking at the head scab treatment. But you know, we're already gearing up for planting beans right after the wheat. So uh, in our case, we actually go longer in maturity uh, for the later planting. And, um, and that seems to be the, the highest yield. We, we can get 60 bushel beans pretty uh, commonly after wheat. Um, but we have to use a little longer maturities, which is kind of contrary to what you would might think. But it, it does make a difference um, um, definitely with when your frost date is and what you know if you're listening to this podcast and it's you're in, in the Dakotas or something, you' you've got a completely different set of circumstances where we're seeing our lengthening of the season you know, we're out into mid to late October till we get a freeze. So that, that certainly makes a huge difference in what we're doing the spring. But um yeah, I, I think that, you know, as a, as a grower, so if we get that estimation, then what do you do? And when I look back on the years that we've had to replant, we've, we've, uh, we've usually um, pinned it down to a lot of times it's that depth of planting. You said, you know, you get everything set up and the other day, you know, it's a it's a classic example where we get it in a little too deep, an inch and a half deep, and and it struggles to get out. We get a little crusting, and and that can that can really severely um, stunt the stand or take it out take out some of those uh, smaller seedlings. So that's that's a, a big a big thing I keep kind of put my finger on. We used to have seed corn maggots uh, years ago, but you know we pretty much eliminated those through some of the technologies. So a lot of the stand loss that I see is simply uh, a lot of the planting the high residue in the high-residue situations and the seedling just fails to, to get established.
0: Yeah, that crusting uh, so once we be... know
3: those numbers, then we can move down the path of, of what to do about it. And I don't know if you're aware, but we did uh, three or four years now where we dropped um, 25,000 plants per acre of soybeans all the way up to 150,000, and um, it it lines up perfectly with um, our um, tables for replant decision guides where when you, you know, really you got to be down in that 80,000 or less to really be thinking about uh, replanting. And at the end of the day, it comes down to gaps because I can plant 75,000 plants per acre. And if it's nice and even those plants will pot out. I had plants with almost 350 pods per plant. Wow. Which are like mini trees, and um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not suggesting you you do that. But uh, what it what we were doing is verifying um, some of the data from Illinois and Purdue in our soils in Pennsylvania, and we found the same correlation that, you know, below 80, you're really, you if if the stands even, we're in good shape. Where we get into trouble are those gaps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the tricky part is, is it's, if it's perfectly even, Hey, it's an easy call for most growers. The trick is it, it often isn't and it's a spotty stand and it it gets to be a a judgment call that experience sure helps with. We're talking with Del Voigt here with Penn State. Del, thank you so much had a lot of great stuff here. I think you gave uh, a couple good teasers there for some of the the research that you've been doing at Penn State and also at, at some other great universities too. So we certainly encourage all our listeners to check that out too. Dell, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back sometime.
3: Okay. Well, have a nice day.
0: You bet. You as well. Let's head out to Colorado State. We've got Ron Meyer with us right now. Ron, uh, you heard a little bit of that wheat talk in there from Dell, and and uh, I thought you might have wanted to jump right in on that.
4: Oh, yeah. Good afternoon. Yeah. You know, in the county I live in, Kit Carson County, we have like 250,000 acres of wheat by itself. And so, yeah, we raise a lot of wheat out here in the High Plains.
0: You know, the winter kill is one of the things that I, I've been talking to growers about too. Uh, just was looking at some pictures from central South Dakota today where we had some frost damage. And man, there's a lot of things going on when you've got elevation to play with and just a lot of variables in Colorado for sure.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're at 4,000 feet uh, in the Burlington area. And uh, as you go west, why, uh, you know, 60 miles west of us. Uh, They're a mile high, and so you're right. Uh, We get warm days during the winter and then cold nights, and winter kill is always uh, an issue in some fields for us.
0: All right. So when you're evaluating those stands, obviously, when you're in the early part of spring, you've got quite a few options of things that you could go to, and and oftentimes making that call whether that stand is going to be sufficient enough to reach your yield goal is is the challenge that takes a little experience when it's when it's a close call.
4: Yeah, for winter wheat, uh, especially because it's a tough crop, and you can thin it out pretty substantially. And, you know, with good growing conditions, it'll tiller back in and uh, you won't get great crop, but you'll still get a pretty good crop if uh, you get the right rain. So that's a tough call. But, you know, lots of times uh, we'll walk through a winter wheat field and uh, we're testing for life. And so uh, we're digging down because I growing points below the soil surface uh, early in the year. And uh, you will know, we'll actually dissect plants and trying to determine if the growing point is damaged or not. And, uh, you know, if that growing point is uh, white and fleshy, uh, not discolored or oozing, then it's alive, and we tend to leave those stands alone because there's a chance that they're going to make it. But uh, dead wheat is just something that is is—it's uh, heartbreaking because, uh, you know, it's planted, and you're thinking you're done planting. But, uh, yeah, we've had to abandon a few wheat fields, not a lot, out here in Colorado. And uh, the best thing I tell folks just spray it out, let it emerge, Sprayed out with Roundup. And then uh, the options for us are somewhat limited. So spring planted crops, we can go with some corn, uh, sunflowers are an option, millet, you know, milo are, are options for us as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely second choices, no doubt about that, or you would have done that in the first place. We're talking with Ron Meyer with Colorado State University. Great tips there, Ron. We really appreciate it. Good luck here heading into the spring. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
2: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
5: When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help.
0: We're talking about replanting decisions on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question or if replanting is what's on your mind, 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Paul Castle on with us right now with Iowa State. Paul, thanks for joining us. Yep, You bet. Good, it's good
7: to visit with you folks today.
0: You know, my, my dad grew up in Iowa and farmed there early on in his career. And one of the things that dad would always tell us is, man, Iowa farmers get stuff done fast. And Iowa's was generally in the lead getting planting done. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not good. Here we are in kind of a cool spring, really dry across a lot of Iowa. Are you seeing any need for replant yet this year?
7: Yeah, we're still kind of waiting on emergence. Uh, I actually had the chance to go to Kansas City and back over the weekend. And I uh, only saw one field emerge, and that was the field of soybeans uh, just north of Tana of Auburn there in Sack County, north of Carroll. So uh, we're, we're kind of waiting on things to emerge. A lot of things are close. We look at growing degree days. or A lot of that corn was planted, you know, two and a half, three weeks ago. It's been about 100 growing degree days since then. As you know, we need that 120 uh, to get us up and get us emerged. Uh, so we've, We haven't seen much crop emergence yet, so, but we're certainly encouraging people, as soon as we do, uh, start checking that, see what kind of stand you have, uh, because, like I say, if we do need to replant, we're early, early enough that we can do that without a lot of impact.
0: No, you're right. We're still we're still early enough to get good yields if we have to go that route. But uh, of course, nobody wants to replant. It's no fun to go back out there and do it again. When you're looking at corn, what are you looking for on those young seedlings? And and like I said, they've been laying in the ground for a while. Right now, it's been cool and it's still cool again this week. How how do you tell if they're really actively growing and if they're going to make it?
7: Just we just look for you know a bright white or creamy white roots, uh, also looking for the coleoptile or the shoot, which will become the leaves and so forth, that kind of a creamy white color and, uh, look, look for that actively, actively growing and, you know, dig as many plants you can. I know it's kind of a, kind of a job to, to dig, to dig, but just evaluate as many as you can. And, and you can kind of evaluate stand that way as well. Now, again, it's a time consuming thing, but if you're really concerned about it and have the time, it's time well spent. So maybe give yourself a little heads up that maybe you need to come back to this and check it later. So that's, that's one thing a person can do at this time of year.
0: You mentioned that soybeans were the first thing that you saw up so far this year, and there were a lot of soybeans that went in pretty early. I know that was a a popular thing across the state of Iowa, and, of course, a lot of farmers are planting corn and beans at the same time. And when you've got those beans out there early, a lot of times they can get dinged up a little bit or they can fight through some crusting or or run into an insect or even herbicide injury. Are are beans a little trickier to, to really tell if they're going to make it or not?
7: Yeah, yeah, kind of the same rules apply again. Look for a bright, bright white colored uh, root tissue, and look for the creamy white. You know, look for the cotyledon to be a light yellow, a you know, light lighter color to a light yellow kind of a kind of a shade to it there, and a similar type of thing. You might be a little easier to evaluate the sand with soybeans because of the fact that there's more of them. Uh, but that'd be something to evaluate as well. Um, like I say, we there was a lot of lot of interest in early early soybean planting and. And uh, I thought that's interesting also. That was the first field I saw emerge. So good, good to see that. But uh, some of these cool nights here, we're concerned about that as well.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and I know we've been talking about that all winter. So many farmers have said, yep, I'm going to try sticking some beans in early. So, like you said, the jury's still out in some of these fields. We'll we'll need to get out as soon as things start popping through to really evaluate what our stands look like. Talking with Paul Castle here with Iowa State. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here heading into the spring as it, as it starts to warm up.
7: Okay, yeah, thank you. You folks have a good day.
0: You bet. You too. Yeah, Brian, a lot of good tips here, and I think the biggest thing is just to get out there and do a little bit of digging. If you don't have crop up, you can do a little digging if you're nervous about it, if it's been laying out there longer than you think. But, man, these days where we accumulate five growing degree units to get to that 100 or 120 Paul was talking about there, that takes a long time.
1: Yep, that's for sure. Here's the next thing that I want you to be thinking about is what maturity do you need to follow with if you have to replant? So just as an example, about a month ago, we were supposed to get, we were supposed to do this field trial on our farm and there was a planter coming in and somebody's going to run it and everything and, oh, okay, we're all set up. We got these acres set aside. Well, here we are a month later and they're still not here (laughs) and supposedly they're going to be here tomorrow now. So anyway, we originally had said, all right, well, let's plant 109-day corn there. That's got about a 95% chance of making it planted the 10th of April, which is when we were going to do this. Well, now that we're getting towards the 10th of May, um, 109-day, there's very little chance it'll make it anymore. And you might say, well, wait a second. We've had almost no heat units. We've lost almost no heat. I don't care. We're simply playing the odds all the time as farmers. So there's a really good website I'd recommend you check out. It's Midwest Regional Climate Center, and you can just punch in GDU Predictor. So in other words, uh, just do a quick internet search, Midwest Regional Climate Center, GDU Predictor, and literally for anywhere in the Midwest, you can zoom down in and it will generate a graph for you and your area. It's super helpful. So you can punch in whatever your planting date's going to be and whatever your maturity is, and it will show you, okay, when should it reach maturity, and when should it reach black layer? It'll give you the odds, basically, and it will show you a range high and low and all that kind of thing, but then it'll show you all the frost dates in the fall, historically, over the last, I don't remember what it is, 20, 30 years, something like that. Anyway, the point is, by doing this, then you are much more uh, you're much safer because you've got the actual data. And it's really helped us on our own farm taking a look at some of these replant decisions and saying, okay, we originally planted 105 or 108-day corn, whatever it is. Well, you know what? It's late May now, let's just say, for example. Um, all of a sudden, we get it back down to a 90-day corn. How well does a 90-day corn yield when it's planted that late? And you got to start thinking about these things. It's it's always a gamble because Anything can turn out good or bad. We don't know. But that's why I say we're trying to play the odds. We're kind of looking at the averages. And it's very often when I'll look at somebody's field and they've got a 70% stand there and they go out, I should probably just tear it up. And I go, no, if it's me, I'd leave it. I let her run. Uh, You're going to lose too much. There's too much cost, uh, too much risk with late planting. And I'd probably just leave it. But this is a real judgment call. It's very, very hard. So we would encourage you get some more advice. <laughs> Maybe have multiple agronomists or seed dealers or whatever. Take a look at your stand and see, okay, well, what would you do if it was yours? And obviously the earlier, the better. The earlier you get a replant in, the better chance you have to to make good yields and a good profit but you look at the crop prices we have now and I mean things were way up at the close again today it's it's crazy so I mean when you can get 550 for your corn this fall you start thinking, you know, if I can gain even a few bushels, I'm ahead to do that. So because of crop prices this year, it might change my thinking as opposed to a normal year when we have much lower crop prices, corn, soybeans, or whatever crop it is you're raising. I mean, almost everything is way higher this year than it usually is. So that's also got to enter into this equation. And then two, you've got to talk to the insurance agent. So this is one of the things we talk about like when it comes to hail. There's plenty of data out there. You could even look up what well, we were just talking, Darren was just telling to Paul Castle from Iowa State. Look up the Iowa State University hail charts. They've been spraying ice on crops for years to determine, okay, how much leaf loss, how much stand loss, what does that really, truly hurt in terms of yield, all the data is out there. It's proven at all the different stages. So there is lots of great information out there. Either your insurance agent's got it, your agronomist would probably have it too, or talk to your seed dealer. Just make sure that you're getting some more advice rather than just saying, uh, making a quick snap decision and saying, oh, it looks bad. I'm just going to replant. Let's put some numbers to it. I'm not saying do or don't, but you got to at least give it a little bit of thought. It is a tough decision. It's usually a judgment call. Uh, Honestly, like on our own farm, I'd almost rather have something completely wiped out. So then there's no more uh, question mark. It's like, no, I got to replant when it's borderline. Those are the tough ones. All right, we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. And if you have any questions for us, you can certainly call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned.
5: This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnel asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on The Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's
1: high yield toolbox. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio, and today we've been talking about replant decisions, but we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about whatever is going on in your farm or answer any of your questions. we got Jared calling in from Illinois right now. We want to get to the phone lines. Jared, how are you doing?
6: I'm doing well, Brian. How are you guys doing?
1: Excellent. Here you get some questions about wheat fungicides.
6: I have a question about weed fungicides, but then also about measuring equipment, uh, okay. given some of the shortages and some of the uh, situations that are happening in the chemical market right now. Yep. I uh, did know what you guys were finding for the cost-value relationship between uh, weed fungicides on products that were on the market.
1: Okay. Well, let me first say, yes, there are a lot of shortages out there. Most companies, though, have pretty good supplies on the fungicide end, other than BASF. BSF is already. Darren and I were just talking about this during the break. Uh, Got another phone call today, and we've kind of heard. Yeah, it's really tough to source a bunch of BSF products. Now, fortunately, on the wheat side, there are lots of other options, but BSF has a couple of really good ones. I like Nexicor. That's a three-mode of action product for early on with herbicide timing, and that one you can find a lot more commonly than some of their uh, corn. Products or soybean products. So Revitec, I know is sold out. Veltima I know is sold out. For example, uh, and then BSF's got uh, Caramba later on. But anyway, uh, uh, in wheat, I'm talking.
6: Fortunately, we've got the Revitec and Veltima in our shed already.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. But anyway, yeah, we talk about three timings all the time for wheat: uh, the herbicide timing, the uh, the flag leaf timing, and then the heading timing. But there are so many different fungicides that could be used at each of those three timings. I, I, I'm I'm just personally not that worried about it. Did you have a specific question or a specific product you wanted to talk about or anything?
6: There was the Miravis uh, family of products. Sure. I'm not sure which one it was that we were talking about. I want to say it was Miravis Ace, but I yes. didn't know which one was the, the the best one to use. And from that family on uh on wheat, but then also what the actual value of that compared to other,
1: like if. The, what generics there might be on the market gotcha like that. okay alright so yes Miravis Ace is the one we've used that a little bit on our farm as well so when you get to heading timing that's where it gets a little you have to be a little bit more fussy because you can't just use anything you can't have the strobes out there anymore so you, you end up talking at heading timing it's basically Miravis Ace versus Presaro from uh, Bear versus Caramba from BSF versus Straight old generic folicure okay well that old generic folicure costs like two bucks and so what we off and these other products you're probably going to be in the 10 to 12 dollar range just depending on where you buy it from so let's just let's just call it 12 dollars versus two dollars all right. So right away, as a farmer, <laughs> which direction do you think most people lean? They go, well, hey, if I could do something pretty well for $2, I might go that way. But we often say, look, if there's any chance that you're going to have head scab, Fusarium head blight, then I would go that direction of Miravis Ace, karam. But They're all good. I don't know necessarily one is the be- is better than the other. If you talk to Syngenta, they'll tell you Miravis Ace is the best, but I'll guarantee a bear won't have the same answer. You know what I mean? uh so they're they're all good and i would just say yeah if i've got more chance for head scab then i'm going that direction if it's literally just rust and that's all i care about folicure that that old generic that's actually pretty good so i don't have a big problem if you really think that's all you're going to have for a disease gotcha Oh, and then the other thing that I'll throw in here is with the way crop prices are and the direction everything's heading, you go, hey, um, of all years, if I'm going to spend a little extra money on corn, on beans, on wheat, on almost any crop, this would be the year to do it. You've got a better chance for a great return on investment. And, you know, even on our own farm, we got to kind of rethink things because we have a certain way of doing things. Well, when the crop price is literally double what you're used to, you go, wait a second here, Um, I can invest a few more dollars because that yield gain that I can expect to get now is going to be just tremendous in terms of total profit so I'm I'm glad you brought this up because we do need to think about this but but coming back to this whole shortage thing um, I was also when Darren and I were talking during the break um, we had heard from a pretty reliable reliable source that Syngenta fungicides had five times the number of orders as normal from a massive retailer in the country. So I'm just trying to say uh, there are a lot of people looking at this fungicide thing, and if we start getting some normal rains, it's pretty dry in a lot of the country, in a lot of the United States. If we start getting normal rains, yeah, there are going to be lots of fungicide products selling out, so it's a good idea to get product on hand, and I'm glad you got your Rivitech and Valtima.
6: Very good. Well, bringing up the uh, the shortages and such a uh we had a situation on our farm where we were using uh, measuring equipment to uh, measure out some Spartan. And I'll be honest, I flat wasn't thinking about it. I was using a dry fluid ounce measuring cup uh, instead of a, a yep. liquid one. And we came up just a little bit short, yep. which, which prompts me to wonder how much difference there is in a dry ounce than a liquid ounce when measuring.
1: Uh, well, that's going to vary tremendously because you think about urea versus potash you know what i'm saying uh so in other words a ton of a dry product could be totally different from one thing to the next so that's the problem when we start talking about dry and we're trying to get weight you know when when we're talking liquid liquid that's based on volume dry is not dry we're talking about pounds so literally with dry you'd have to weigh something out so yes there's going to be a tremendous variance there and so somebody's measuring tool for one dry flowable could absolutely be different than another company's measuring tool for a different dry flowable
6: something to know for
1: next year yep
6: fortunately our beans are still coming up fine oh
1: that's good that's good all right well hey good luck to you thanks for the call
6: Thank you. Thank you, Brian. You bet.
1: Let's go next to Brad down in Iowa. Hey, Brad, how are you doing today?
5: Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys?
1: Great. What can we do for you?
5: Well, you know, just kind of what you were just talking about. You know, we've got everything in the ground and everything's looking good from a commodity price. So we're talking about trying something with foliar nutrients this year for yep. both corn and soybeans on a small trial. Okay. And. From a corn timing, we're thinking it would be best to do that maybe with our V5 application, roughly a herbicide, and for the soybeans, probably with our fungicide path. And so I was wondering what you guys thought of that, and then what to look for, because it's kind of like a kid in a candy store. There's lots of things to choose from. I'd like to do it based on maybe tissue sampling but I don't know that we'll always have that exactly right ahead and be able to get the product we want so <laughs> trying to figure out how to narrow it down to maybe pick something to give it a shot
1: okay uh, great questions let me first say you, you said uh, lots of choices out there literally everybody you talk to Brad is going to be trying to sell you something now that you said hey I want to buy <laughs> You're going to get lots of offers and lots of options, and it could be overwhelming. It's okay. We'll post Brad's number on social media now and and get those calls started for him. Okay. Uh, I I will tell you, I think I feel, and Darren, you see what you think. I I think your thought is exactly right on. With corn, we've got to make sure those nutrients are in early. With soybeans, a lot of that yield comes later on, and a lot of the nutrient uptake comes a little bit later on. So, yeah, I think you're dead on with, with both thoughts. A couple oh, I want to get
0: I want to get that corn fed well from early on and the yes. challenge is a lot of Iowa is pretty darn dry right now and that makes it a challenge to for that root system to be pulling in those nutrients. That that's tough. I think your yeah. tissue sample is gonna look fantastic once you get a nice two inch rain to push all those nutrients in. So right. be careful about that too. The tissue sample may lie to you a little bit and, early and, on. And
1: and here's the other thing Foliar feeding can only get you a little bit in terms of nutrients, and a little bit of yield gain. Uh, Now, every once in a while, you hit the home run and you gain a whole bunch of yield, but a lot of times it just doesn't pan out that way. What I'm trying to say is, if you said, you know what, I want to try to take my, whatever, call it 220 bushel corn to 250, Uh, one shot of foliar fertilizer isn't going to do it. You're going to need other things, and that may mean some in-season side dressing, whether it's nitrogen or maybe even a little potassium or something like that. I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there. In terms of picking a product – um, yes, we would like to either look at your soil tests or your tissue tests to then say, okay, we can maybe kind of fine tune this and head it one direction. If it looks like you're particularly short on a nutrient or two, uh, but otherwise, a lot of times, guys, will just go with uh, with some kind of blend. Um, hey, Brad, if you want to hang on, I got just a little bit more after this break. I'll give you a couple other tips for this. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
4: Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 Herbicide System. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn
2: more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPHD PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match.
6: Mm Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide.
2: Oh, my bad. From the top. Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. You're looking for soybeans that give you the
7: yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing ExtendFlex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
1: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about replanting decisions, but right before the break, we were speaking with Brad from Iowa, who, just like many of us, have been watching the grain markets saying, you know, this is a good year to really capitalize on these high prices maybe hopefully make a few more dollars and run a few experiments with some foliar fertilizer so we were talking about that and i i I guess brad the other thing that i wanted to mention is just a couple of tips that we've gotten from some of the really high yield farmers in the united states one is fulvic acids and for many of them they've said hey If you want better uptake and intake with your foliar fertilizer, try some fulvic acid with it. And I'm glad right off the bat you said, hey, I want to run some trials, you know, just try some stuff. That's a good idea before you go whole hog on the whole farm or anything like that. But we do a lot of foliar feeding and quite frankly, we do it on every acre of our corn and soybeans. Uh, I like having some fulvic acid in there. Um, Another thing you could throw in would be some biologicals. Now, there are plant growth hormones, there are biologicals. I mean, those would be things you could possibly try as well. And then the third thing would be water treatment. So I don't know what kind of water you have, what your water tests like, but I I would just say this. I don't care if we're talking a herbicide, we're talking fungicide, whatever, but those products can get slightly neutralized if you've got lots of hard water ions in there, whether it's calcium, magnesium, iron, even copper or something like that. And then there's also chlorine that can kill biologicals. So if you were to throw biologicals in, you'd want to have some little treatment for uh, for chlorine. So like on our farm, we'll use bioprep to treat the water for chlorine, uh, turns it into chloride that probably costs 10 cents an acre. Uh, we'll use a product called water, right to, uh, tie up the hard water ions that probably costs, I don't know, 40, 50 cents an acre. Uh, we'll throw in a product called NUTEX EDA. That's got a little bit of zinc and then, uh, some other stuff, (laughs) uh, uh, that, 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 that's good. Um, I, 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 let's put it this way. Some of the companies have a lot of proprietary things in there that they aren't willing to share with the world. They share some of the information with us. And then I got to be careful about what I say. But anyway, we, we throw a product called new EDA in with stuff. Uh, and then we've got some different biologicals we try. And then in terms of foliar fertilizer, there are a lot of companies out there that have really good stuff. We do a lot of work with agri liquid. They get a product called Fertorain that we really like, for example. Uh, but there are many other companies that have good foliar nutrition products. So, I know I've given you a lot of stuff, probably confused you more than anything else, but I will tell you it's absolutely something worth trying. Um, We are totally in agreement with your timings that you were talking about, V5 ish on corn, and uh, when you would spray, uh, well, well, later on, when you might spray a uh, 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 fungicide, insecticide package, something like that. uh, That would be a good timing later on for the soybeans. And yeah, just try some stuff if you can get a little tissue sampling done. And, but you could certainly look back at your soil test too. And if you want to send us your soil tests, we could look at them and say, Ooh, yeah, you, you probably are going to run short on this one nutrient or two or whatever. So if you want to do that, we're certainly willing to take a look at that for you as well.
5: Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing what you're just saying right there. I think that for me then that helps me zero in for yep. us knowing our soil test and where we're low. We're really good on the macros. It's probably gonna be more focused on micronutrients, is where we're gonna run short. Yep. So I'll probably probably focus in some things around that area. And then uh but it just depends on what we can get our hands on. So yeah. Yeah, that helps a lot. That sure. really makes sense. And then, you know, if you're going to go after it, do all the other things that go along with it in the tank. Otherwise, uh, you're you're reducing your chance for success. So I, I think it makes sense to pull the whole package and put it together.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about that is it just gives you more chances to hit because we don't know really what's going to hit for sure. But if we have several chances in there... our odds are just better. Now, here's one other thing I'll tell you. Since you said, hey, we think we're pretty good on the macros, maybe not on the micros, we were in the same boat as you a few years ago. And what we found is, yes, we could gain some by foliar feeding, but we felt we were still leaving a lot on the table. And we didn't want to go foliar feeding three times or anything like that. So we started putting more micronutrients out in the fall or maybe in some cases even in the spring and building our soils up so I'll give you two examples one is zinc and Zinc is incredibly important for corn and and soybeans, as I'm sure you are well aware. But what we started finding is there is a big difference in the ratios. So if you have Mm. a lot of phosphorus and not a lot of zinc, it was really hurting our yield. And we're doing all these comparisons of yield to our grid soil test points. I mean, like thousands per year. So it, it... you can see it, it's night and day difference. you got to get that yeah, phosphorus to zinc ratio right. I've done that right on our right. farm and seen that. Great, okay. So, yeah, and zinc sulfate's dirt cheap. Okay, so that's one example. The other example is boron. And if you're in an area where you have lots of moisture and sandy soil, then... I get it that you got to fold your feet almost constantly, but like for a lot of us, and you're in Iowa, we're in South Dakota, we don't get nearly as much rain as they do in the South, and we have heavier soils. So we can actually, our soils can hold a season's worth of boron, so we've been putting some boron out in either the fall or the spring, and we've been getting good response for the, with that, rather than having to worry about, you know, some big foliar feed that we might need later on. So I'm not saying don't foliar feed or anything else. I am just saying, you know, just be taking a look at this, thinking about this in the future, because it's, it's one of the things, and especially now that we got five plus dollar corn, oh my goodness, some of these micronutrient things really pay and you don't have to spend a lot of money.
5: Yeah, well, and I think, you know, going back to it, the broadcasting, and you're going to have a much better chance of success with that for the dollar spent than we will with the foliar, too. Right. This year, it's just trying to do something to see if we can actually find out that, yeah, if we invest this fall, that if we put more zinc or boron or... Uh, other micronutrients on that we get a response to that it gives us an indicator maybe we should spend some more money on dry fertilizer.
1: Yep yep that's exactly right and uh, I'll leave you with this Uh, with all the foliar work that gets done all around the United States and even Canada for that matter if it's on corn where they still get the most response is typically nitrogen. So I'd at least be thinking about having some nitrogen in there too, somehow, some way, or side dressing or whatever. You definitely don't want to run short on nitrogen in a year like this year when hopefully profit on the farm is going to be real good.
5: Yep. Hey, and then one other thing before I end here, that you sure. guys topic for today, is we've got corn up, but uh, the other thing you remember is, uh, there's a big difference between the cold germ that's driving a lot of the replant <laughs> decisions that we're seeing here yes. locally. So yep. we did in nutrients and uh, good seed treatments, and but uh, at the end of the day, it still comes back to that, and there is a big difference between uh, one hybrid to the next.
1: You're definitely right on that, Brad. And unfortunately, you're not going to find the cold germ on the seed tag. So that's where if you're a farmer that likes to plant early, will typically say, hey, get your seed in a little bit early and just send it into a lab yourself. So then you know for sure. you got a lot of dollars at stake there. I mean, you start thinking about it. I run the math even on our own farm. $5 corn times 240 bushels, that's $1,200 an acre I have at risk. Yeah. I mean, I can spend just a little bit and test the seed to know for sure my cold germ is good because if it's not, I don't want to put that seed in the ground in April in our country. Right. Nope.
5: No, thanks for your time today, guys. You really bet. Appreciate it. Thanks,
1: Brad. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Had one comment come in from Gary in Wyoming about alfalfa insecticides. Yesterday on in our show, we were talking alfalfa. He said, we're getting extended residual control by mixing Brigade plus Mustang Max, so two different active ingredients, and Washington State had done some research on that. They're seeing good control on aphid, ligus, alfalfa weevil, max rate, uh, getting longer residual, and they're really happy with that. They're getting out to four weeks potentially. Now that's dry country too. He said, also we're using Lorsban as soon as we see overwintered alfalfa weevil, adults become active. And he said, keep in mind, they're in alfalfa seed production. So they aren't worried about the pre-harvest intervals like the guys cutting every 28 days.
1: Not only that, but Brigade is not labeled for alfalfa in most states. So it is labeled in his state for seed production. So with Brigade just so you know what that is, if you're not familiar with with Brigade, the product, that's by Fenthrin, so generic capture. That's a third generation pyrethroid. Mustang Max would be similar to like Warrior or Asana or any of those kind of products. That's a second generation pyrethroid. The biggest difference is the Brigade is Uh, it's going to be much better on grasshoppers so other than that it's going to have just a little bit more residual and yeah we do like brigade better than the second generation pyrethroids but it also costs a little more and again brigade is not labeled in most states for alfalfa
0: yep that label is always a tricky thing Brian you may hear about a different product on our show make sure you're checking for your local area if those things are labeled Thanks for listening to our program today talking about replanting decisions. Hopefully you don't have to replant this year. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.